Here's a quote from uh, an article I saw the other day. Quote, Canadian constitutional disputes are like zombies. Just when you think they're buried, they rise from the dead looking to claim their next victim. Politicians often exhume them to boost, boost their standing and win an election. But they'd better beware. Like most monsters, the undead have no loyalty and will happily turn on those who resurrect them. This under uh, Tasha Carradine's latest National Post column, Poiliev goes after disaffected Quebec liberals fed up with Trudeau. Tasha Carradine on the line from Cottage Country and snowy Kawartha area north of Toronto. Tasha, good morning. Thanks for joining us again. Good morning. Nice to be here. So this is uh, the, the invocation of the notwithstanding clause. For some reason, uh, when Doug Ford decided to do it in Ontario to resolve uh, uh, an issue, uh, the government of Canada uh, decided it was not on. And yet when the government of Quebec does it as routinely as it does, Ottawa looks the other way. So uh, square that circle as it turns uh, to the Conservatives and their take on the notwithstanding clause. Well, yes and no, because Justin Trudeau actually came out last weekend and um, said to French uh, publication La Presse that the preemptive use uh, by both provinces was cause for concern and said further than that, that there might be action taken by his justice minister, David Lametti, um, to take uh, make a reference to the Supreme Court on the issue. That's the furthest he's gone in terms of saying an actual action that could be taken. And this, of course, provoked a lot of outrage in Quebec. Premier Legault piled on and said, you know, we're never going to accept this weakening of our rights. Right. Never. And this is not a coincidence because at the same time, the same week, the conservatives, Pierre Polyev, were making this sort of charm offensive in Quebec, going there uh, on the ground, meeting with people. There's a, a real realization Quebec is always a key to a majority in an election. Um, and that's why neither party got one last time, too, because not just Ontario, it's Quebec. So to go after him and try and rile the separatist boogeyman again um, is clever on Trudeau's part because he wants to polarize the vote between federalists and separatists and squeeze the the conservatives out have people vote for the block instead but i don't know if it's going to work this time and that's what i start talking about mm -hmm. uh, yet from a perspective from a western perspective where we're not very close to any of this uh, what we are uh, quite accustomed to and this goes back to brian mulrooney who was really good at it uh canadian politicians at the federal level having one message for quebec and a completely different message about the same topic for the rest of the country that's not necessarily the case here but there was a bit of f feedback or uh, pushback from Alberta on the matter of the notwithstanding clause this time around, wasn't there? Yeah, I think that it's interesting that Alberta is taking, um, you know, a Daniel Smith's path that to victory in her leadership was this Alberta Sovereignty Act, yeah. the idea that she would move forward with something to defend the rights of uh, Albertans. And uh, that is, you know, the use of the notwithstanding clause by Alberta uh, wouldn't be a first for Western Canada. In fact, the notwithstanding clause, I think, was first used by Manitoba on legislation to get nurses back to work, like mm -hmm. way, way back in the day. So using the notwithstanding clause out West would not be unique. But the idea that, you know, we're going to use it to defend the rights of Albertans and just preemptively block laws from Ottawa is a bit of a declaration of war, I will say. Um, and it, it, 
you know, it raises the idea, well, what's the Constitution for? And I think that's also partly informing why Trudeau is getting so engaged. So and if uh, do you foresee then before the next election, which is less than 18 months away, at least officially, some kind of approach to the Supreme Court for uh, some kind of ruling on this? Or is this just all talk? Well, that's the question is, when's the election going to be? Would there be time for a ruling? Because the Supreme Court, you know, doesn't just do it overnight. Sure. We need at least several, usually about six months to do something like that. Um, and the other question is, why would that happen at this time? I think it really depends on where the liberals see the polls going in Quebec. Because like I said, the, the Bloc Québécois has become kind of a parking lot for votes, for voters in Quebec who don't love the liberals, don't love the conservatives, you know, love their province, but not enough to leave. And they sort of see it as like, oh, well, it's just, you know, we'll just vote these guys in. They'll defend our interests. No, no harm, no foul. Right. Um, so you have to give the, to get those voters to move. you got to give them a reason. And if Trudeau thinks he can't give them enough of a reason, but maybe Pierre Polyev would give him a reason. Well, then he'll say, "Uh oh, I got to keep them with the block better there than with the conservatives. So if he raises the specter of sovereignty, of, uh, of um rather a federalist separatist sort of divide, if he raises the specter of Ottawa interfering by making a reference to the Supreme Court, that will solidify the bloc vote and to the detriment mostly of the Tories, who traditionally have been the ones who've tried to poach it. So I think it's a lot of political gamesmanship. It'll depend where things are in the polls and what Trudeau thinks is a smart move to either win Quebec or just Keep it parked with the block. And so this weekend, uh, they're wrapping up their caucus meetings, both the Liberals and Conservatives, uh, prior to the resumption of Parliament soon. Uh, And of course, both leaders, Polyev and Trudeau, hurling spears at each other. Uh, What Mm -hmm. do you think is going to happen in this uh, this winter session that's coming up? Is it going to be as volatile as I think Trudeau wants? It's going to be ugly. Uh, no question. I think both of them want it to be ugly. And this is the problem with politics right now. It's become rage farming on both sides. Yeah. And, you know, there's, the Trudeau government has done a great deal of harm to this country, 100 percent with its policies, its reckless spending. There's no question. Um, at the same time, some of the stuff that conservatives are talking about or what they base basing their rage farming in, I think, is destructive as well. Um, it's, it's almost become a culture war. And, you know, you look at the United States and you see what's happening there. I really don't wish our politics to go down that road. So I'd love it if both of them would be a bit more civil, but I'm not holding my breath right now. Yeah, final question. It's good to have you back. Uh, This is uh, the first anniversary. It was one year ago today. uh, The truckers invaded Ottawa and upset everyone in that uh, bucolic national capital. Uh, They're still, of course, outraged and still whining. Uh, Expecting anything today? The police certainly are, for a change. Yeah, um, I don't know if I expect uh, the same. I mean, I don't expect the same kind of, obviously, what happened last time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, There was talk of redoing it in Winnipeg. That didn't happen either. Um, You know, there there could be some people who who commemorate the event, uh, such as it is. Um, I know certain people I know who live in Ottawa are glad it's not going to happen again because they really did suffer under it. Um, You know, one woman I know was shoved to the ground because she was wearing a mask. Another was told to go home. You packy, literally, that was the insult thrown at her by someone because she was wearing a mask and she happens to be of Indian background. Hmm. Um, you know, there's there's two sides to the story. Sure. And for all the, the glory that people said, the trucker convoy, a lot of people in it felt unified and they found solidarity. A lot of other people felt very threatened. So there, you know, it, it, I'm glad it's not going to be repeated because I think it was a very bad watershed for this country, actually, in terms of the way feelings were expressed. I think there's legitimate grievances underlying a lot of it. 
but the way they were expressed was very destructive. Indeed. I'm not expecting very much today at all. I think the press will make more of it than there actually is going to happen, as is the press's particular. I was going to say, is not that much going on. <laughs> no. so, so let's make something out of nothing. <laughs> Tasha, thanks for this. Always a treat to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.